Hi, this is Dan. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I trust that it will encourage you and build your faith. If you'd like to connect with us further, our website is revivalnow.com, and you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Revival Now Dan Steep. We have the Revival Now app that you can download at your Play Store, and if you use Roku, you can find us on Creo TV. Enjoy the podcast and share it with a friend. Hi, welcome to Spiritual Talk. I'm Dan Steep, and this episode is being brought to you by Valara with Active Pure Technology. If you'd like to know how you can get an FDA-approved, NASA-used technology in your home, business, or car that reduces 99% of airborne and surface pathogens, including mold, fungus, bacteria, including staph, and viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, email infoforvalara at gmail.com. We're talking about the 144,000 that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. There's been a lot of, uh, a lot of discussion, a lot of uh, teachings that are centered around the 144,000, many false teachings uh, that have uh, talked about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation. So we're going to dive into that in this episode. The primary scripture in which the 144,000 are spoken of is in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. And then also they're mentioned in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. So let's begin with the reading of the Word. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Then I saw four angels sitting at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, So they did not blow on the earth or the sea, or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying a seal of the living God, the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. And I'll spare the reading of verses 5 through 8, as it simply lists each tribe with the 12,000 per tribe ascribed to each one. And then let's look at Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of of a mighty ocean wave or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God, and before the four living beings and the twenty-four elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. 
They've kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They've been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They've told no lies. They are without blame. Throughout Scripture, God has never left Himself without a witness on the earth. He always extends mercy before judgment. God always extends mercy before judgment. You'll never face the wrath, you'll never face the judgment of God until you reject the mercy of God. I want you to remember that when we come to the end of this episode. So as we're talking about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation, these are a witness to God that He left for us, but more about that later. Let's talk about the common false views of the 144,000, and I'll cover this as quickly as I can. There's a lot of detail. Uh, whatever I ultimately lead you with, there's more, but uh, for the sake of time, we'll talk about the common false views of the 144,000 in the book of Revelation. The first one are the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach that the 144,000 are a select group of Jehovah's Witnesses anointed by God as quote-unquote spiritual Israel. Now, this was an easier concept for them to sell for people to buy into and believe in the infancy of this cult that we call Jehovah's Witnesses. But as the cult grew, and they grew in numbers, uh, they, they exceeded the 144,000 number. And so their, their teaching, if you will, had to evolve on this issue. And they, they looked... To scriptures like Luke 12.32, where Jesus was addressing people, and he called them little flock. He said, fear not, little flock. And they said, when Jesus said little flock, he was referring to the 144,000. And then in John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep too. And the Jehovah's Witnesses refer to that scripture as Jesus saying that he's referring to the great crowd of Revelation chapter 7 that follows this discussion about the 144,000. It's really a stretch. I mean, a stretch is being kind to the Jehovah's Witnesses to draw the conclusions that they drew based off of those two scriptures. It's pretty clear to see that they, they took a couple of scriptures and they shoehorned them into their belief system and their teaching. I wholeheartedly reject the teachings of the cult of Jehovah's Witnesses on this topic and virtually every topic that they discuss. The second 
a faulty view about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation is what we call the Latter-day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, also commonly referred to as the Mormon Church. Now, you can, you can clearly see the heresy and, um, I mean, the twisting of scriptures that the Jehovah's Witness do. It's, it's pretty easy to see. It's right on the surface if you're really looking at it and looking for it. Now, Mormon theology is even more complicated than, I think, than Jehovah's Witness theology. In Mormon theology, they say that the angel in Revelation 14 that we read just a moment ago is the angel Moroni, who appeared to Joseph Smith, who's uh, the founder of the Mormon church. This, this angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith in 1823 and provided him with the literature of what we now call the Mormon church. They say that Revelation chapter 7 is prophesying about the restoration of the gospel to the Mormon church, who call themselves the church of the Latter-day Saints. So, this restoration of the gospel to the Mormon church in the latter days was actually, according to their teaching, fulfilled in 1823 when Joseph Smith claimed to have this encounter with this angel Moroni. So from 1823 moving forward, Revelation chapter 27 is being fulfilled within the Mormon church. Now, Joseph Smith... He was a false prophet. Uh, he was either a false prophet or he was crazy. Or both. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 through 15, the Apostle Paul talks to us about how even the devil can take the form of an angel of light. So it's talking about deception. And we have to be very careful. Sometimes the, the, the person that is speaking the untruths seems very believable. I have a brother, and growing up, he lied a lot. But one thing I have to say, I, I admired how good he lied. He was so good. We've had a couple of presidents in recent years in the United States that follow this same line. They're telling lies. I'm looking at them. I'm listening to the lies. I know it's a lie, but I almost want to believe them because they're just so good at crafting the lie and, and rolling that lie out. So you have to be very careful. If even the devil can take the form of an angel of light, then certainly any human being can be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 1 for just a moment. I find the best definition of a cult, and I want to share that scripture with you because we're throwing around this word cult, and it deserves 
to be defined. We'll read Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and then we'll also read verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul said, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. That's the best definition of a cult. following a different way, pretending to be the good news or the gospel, but not the good news at all, deliberately twisting the truth concerning Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again, that we have said uh, what we have said before if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed let that person be cursed and i really would not want to have to answer for these cults like the jehovah's witnesses or the mormons the church of jesus christ of latter day saints that's the best definition of a cult. I have a lot of scripture that I could share with you about the Mormon uh, teachings. Uh, they say that the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation is the number of ordained high priests out of the twi 12 tribes of Israel who will assist others in the quest for salvation. In fact, let me share this from the, the Book of Mormon Doctrine page 546, they say, At his second coming, the Lamb shall stand on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. These 144,000 are gods, as the name on their foreheads specifies. Their callings and elections have been made sure. Their exalted personages they're redeemed from among men, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. They have obtained perfection. So Mormonism teaches that salvation is dependent upon much more than the work of Christ and Christ alone. They teach that Jesus, as a spirit child of God, uh, was born on this earth, and that he is merely our older brother. Now, they don't come out with these teachings and these statements right away. They lure you in, and then they gradually brainwash you with those teachings. The atonement of Christ, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, in Mormonism, doesn't provide what's sufficient for salvation because Jesus was simply our elder brother. So they teach us that true salvation is completed only with the addition of Mormon ordinances, the Mormon gospel, and the fulfilling of Mormon rituals. In fact, the Mormon articles of faith affirm a belief in the Bible 
as the Word of God, if interpreted correctly, which means by their standards or their teaching, and they state that the Book of Mormon is to be equal to the Holy Bible, but actually in their teachings, they, they really make the Bible subservient to the Book of Revelation. I want to remind you and call your attention to what God said in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 18 through 19. He said, Jesus said, I solemnly prophesy, written in this book, if anyone, this is uh, not Jesus, but the apostle John, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add that person to the plagues, add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. And I can tell you that what, what Mormons say about these two verses that I just read is that it only applies to the book of Revelation and doesn't apply to uh, all of the Bible. But I would contend and pose the question to you that why would God have a higher standard for the book of Revelation than the rest of the Bible. Isn't God's attitude about the last book of the Bible the same attitude that he has for the entirety of Scripture? Mormons are not Christians, and that will help you if you can come to terms with that. Many of them are good, moral, high-character, family-oriented people, but they're not trusting in Jesus Christ and his work alone, his substitutionary death, his death, his burial, his resurrection. They're not uh, relying, they're not trusting in him alone for their salvation. And they've exalted the Book of Mormon over the Bible. Their doctrine of Christ is heresy. They believe, they teach a salvation that's by works and not by grace. And their Bible prophecy and eschatology is severely off track. So not only do I reject the teachings of the cult known as the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church, I reject the notion that that cult is actually Christian. I believe that cult itself represents what we were talking about with, with the words the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, that even the devil can masquerade as an angel of light. I think we, we're seeing in cults like Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormon Church, the devil very much parading or masquerading as an angel of light. But I want to share with you the most common false teaching among, among Bible-believing Christians. So this isn't uh, a cult teaching, this is just a, a false teaching among Bible-believing Christians, and that is that the 144,000 in the book of Revelation represent the true church or spiritual Israel. There's a word for this in theological circles. It's called replacement theology. Replacement theology says that the church of Jesus Christ is the true spiritual Israel, seen in two stages of history. In the end times, the first is standing on the threshold of the Great Tribulation, 
and then later having passed through this great time of tribulation, murdered but victorious. And replacement theology basically says that because Israel rejected Jesus, all of the promises and covenants for Israel have been now reassigned to the church, the spiritual Israel, that is replacing Israel. That's replacement theology. Now let me talk to you about why the 144,000 are not spiritual Israel. First of all, we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, that they're from the tribes of Israel. So this can't just be Gentile believers who are Christians and, and they've, they've replaced Israel because they're literally from the tribes of Israel. It's listed out. All 144,000 listed out, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And furthermore, nowhere in the New Testament is the word Israel ever used for the church. And I know of no biblical instance in which the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel ever included Gentiles. So why would the Holy Spirit begin to mix those two in the last book of the New Testament when he was so careful not to do that throughout the New Testament? Another reason why um, the church is not Israel and why this, this common false belief cannot be true, why the 144,000 are not spiritual Israel, is that if one holds to the pre-tribulation timing of the rapture, the church at this point is already in heaven. I believe in a very straightforward reading of the book of Revelation. And that in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, we move from the church age into the tribulation age. And the tribulation age cannot begin until the church age has ended with the church being removed from the earth through what we call the rapture, where Jesus Christ comes and catches the church up out of the earth to meet with him in the air and to be at that point forever with the Lord. So there's no way that the 144,000 can be the church because the church is already in heaven and the 144,000 are still on earth during the tribulation period. Let me give you another reason why the 144,000 cannot be the church. Because Jews and Gentiles are clearly distinguished in Revelation chapter 7. There's a, there is a, well, let me just read verse 9. Because this is verse 9 of Revelation chapter 7 leaves the 144,000. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. So the 144,000 are a specific group from the tribes of Israel. Specific number, 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. And now 
the revelation goes on and says in verse 9, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, completely different and distinct. And they were standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, held palm branches in their hands. And I'll release another episode specifically dealing with this group of people, this vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. That's a very strong pivot from the listing of the 144,000 Jews by tribe in verses 5 through 8, and then in verse 9, there's a shift, there's a pivot to a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, and in Galatians chapter 3, and I would encourage you to to go ahead and read those chapters. I'm not going to take the time to do that, but they speak about the unity of the church. There's neither male nor female, you know, Jew or Greek, right? Slave or free, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Those are really great statements, and they're very true. But the unity of the church, this is true for those who are being saved, both Jews and Gentiles, here and now, in the church age. But both Jew and Gentile exist on the earth in the tribulation. So that unity isn't there in Revelation 7 because the rapture's already taken place and all the believers are with Christ. So this can't, you can't use those scriptures in Ephesians 3 and Galatians 3, because they're speaking about the unity of the church, and the, un- the church is no longer on the earth. It's been raptured, is with Jesus. That's where all the believers are, with Christ. Now, And all that remain on earth after the rapture are either unsaved Jews or unsaved Gentiles who are going throughout the course of the tribulation to be saved. They're not all, but many will. So who are the 144,000? Spent a lot of time talking about who they're not and exposing erroneous views. The 144,000 in the book of Revelation is a literal group of 144,000 Jewish men, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel, and they're raised up by God to serve him as his special messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ during the Great Tribulation. And that is a literal interpretation of Revelation chapter 7. Jesus shows John the number and the math. It's not spiritual Israel. It's actual Israel. In Revelation 14, 3, let me read that very quickly. Revelation 14, 3. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. 
No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They've been redeemed. They're not just Jews. They're Messianic Jews. They're, they're believers. They're born again. And they're sealed by God for their special assignment. 144,000 Jewish evangelists sealed and protected by God to go forth and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus in the air when he comes for his church? And his church is comprised of every born-again, Bible-believing Christian. The next great event, major event, on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. It takes place before this sequence of events in Revelation chapter 7. It's never been more important to make sure that you are in the number of the redeemed, those that participate in the rapture of the church. Because as you see, when you move on, and read from Revelation chapter 6 on up through Revelation 19 or so, it's, it's the tribulation period of time. One sequence of judgments after another, building in intensity and severity for those who remain on the earth, those who didn't have the privilege I shouldn't say they didn't have the privilege to participate in the rapture of the church because Jesus will not come for his church until everyone has had the opportunity to hear the gospel. So that means those who remain on the earth either fell away from Christ or they rejected him altogether. You don't want to be a part of that number. Be a part of those that Jesus is returning for those that he catches up from the earth to be with himself. Because once the body of Christ is removed from the earth, and the body of Christ is just another biblical name for the church, once that happens, uh, that, that begins the tribulation, the revealing of the Antichrist, and a lot of stuff that you don't want to be a part of. You want to make sure that you are in heaven with Jesus when those events unfold. How can you make sure? I'm going to offer a simple prayer of salvation. And if you'll repeat this prayer after me from a place of sincerity in your heart, you can make sure that your life is turned from sin, turned toward Jesus, and that you have experienced the salvation that Jesus purchased for you to have. The Bible says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So pray this prayer out loud after me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. I believe Jesus died for my sins and he rose again to give me victory over sin and death. I confess my sinfulness. I repent. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. 
and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And it's the prayer of my heart that you were able to pray that prayer together with me from a place of sincerity in your heart. And if you prayed that prayer with me, welcome to the family of God. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when you prayed that prayer with me, you called on the name of the Lord. So by the authority of God's word, you are saved. You're born again. And you're on your way to heaven because you have Jesus in your heart. If you prayed that prayer with me, please go to our website at revivalnow.com. Revivalnow.com. When you go there, you'll find a big red button on the front page that says, I just got saved. Please click that button, and it'll take you to a place where you can do a couple of things. You can view some video resources that I've prepared for you to help you get started in your Christian life. And there's a place for you to fill out your contact information. And if you'll fill out your contact information, I want to send some resources to you to help you get started in your Christian life. So you can bring it back to me. Please take a moment to go to Revival Now and click that red button and follow those prompts. It's the only way that I'll know who you are. It's the only way that I'll be able to pray for you by name. It's the only way that I'll be able to send resources to you to support you in your decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Hey, thanks so much for joining me on this episode. I appreciate all of you so much. I want to make sure that you know that this episode is being brought to you by Valara with Active Pure Technology. If you'd like to get to know how to get an FDA-approved NASA-used technology in your home, business, or car that reduces 99% of airborne and surface pathogens, including mold, fungus, bacteria, and viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, email info for Valara at gmail.com. Thanks for taking this journey with me. I look forward to being able to share more from God's Word with you in the coming days. So until then, be blessed in Jesus' name. <music>